my name is Keith Beavers, and I think we all just just need to like calm down for a second, not get too excited. Um, this is a bonus episode of Wine One One, and I will be chatting with the Jedi Wine Master. <laughs> What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is Wine 101. My name is Keith Beavers, and I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair. What's going on? Jancis Robinson is a British wine critic, journalist, and wine writer. She is responsible for compiling and editing the Oxford Wine Companion in its many editions that I have owned over the years. And her impact on wine is pretty amazing. Um, you know, back in the day, we used to have these things called libraries, right? And you could take books out, bring them back, or don't bring them back and get charged. You know, it was a thing. But in every library was this section called the reference section. And you could use any book in the reference section for whatever project you were working on, but you couldn't take those books away because they were primary sources of information. Well, for me, the Oxford Wine Companion for research of Wine 101 and just my wine life and career in general has always started with the Oxford Wine Companion. I always want to consult this book first before I go off on my research journey for anything I do in wine. So I had a chance to actually sit and talk with Jancis Robinson, the Jedi wine master of wine, in my opinion. And it was the first time her and I really talked. So I wanted to know everything. So I don't want to spend too much time on this intro, but we had an amazing conversation, talked about, you know, her and how she came to be where she is today and what she's looking towards in the future. And really those two things, but we talked for like over 30 minutes and it was really amazing. I could have talked for another hour, but speaking of talking, I'm going to stop now and let you guys listen to our chat. So please enjoy my chat with master of wine and the Jedi master of wine, Jancis Robinson. Good. Let's have a look at your t-shirt. Oh, so, okay. Okay. I had, I had a podcast before the wine one one podcast called wine schooled. I used to have a restaurant. I sold my restaurant. I used to have a wine shop. I sold that. And then I went on, I didn't know what to do with my life because I, I had done that for over a decade. So I started this podcast as I like to teach wine. And so I wasn't making money on the podcast. So I did merch. And because I reference you a lot, I made this shirt and it's basically, I like to help people make their own decisions in wine. So mm -hmm. it says, <laughs> Very good. You and you. So it's basically you are your own wine critic is what I was trying to good. do there. You know? Excellent. Lovely. It makes sense. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I never thought, you know, I was like, someone's like, oh, Jancis Robinson's talking with Vine Pair. Do you want to talk to her for a podcast? And I'm like, <laughs> wait, really? Okay, that's so cool. Um, so just so you know, I, I reference you a lot in my podcast the wine 101 the vine pairs wine 101 podcast and you're very kind i uh, thank you well i mean i gotta tell you you have to understand like i bought the oxford wine companion in i think 2008 and mm. it has been 
I mean, it's one of those, one of those books. I don't have a lot. I don't, I have a lot of books, but I don't have a lot of books that I, that I use a lot. This book, mm-hmm. I think I ripped the spine off within a year. And it, so I think I've actually purchased multiple, not, <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter what version it was, it just purchased and purchased and purchased. And then eventually I realized that on the website, you know, on JancisRobinson.com, it's there. So I've been subscribed for ever. And I just, oh, that's I, great. Yeah, that's it great. Is, it and is, it's also it, easier, isn't it, online? Because oh, instead of flipping through those flipping pages, through, I mean, just, I did flipping. I flipped through a lot and <laughs> just like, yeah, and just the pages would eventually fly out, you know? So it was so nice to have it online and I could use it because, I mean, your, your, that book and also Wine Grapes um, is my primary source of information when I research wine for my podcast, for, when I teach wine for, for basically everything. So it's, oh, that's it's, great to know. It's so cool to be talking to you because this has just been, you know, so many years of me just reading all the stuff that you've edited and wrote. And it's, it's amazing. So, you know, I know you very well just through, through, through that, but the people that listen to wine one-on-one and maybe some of the people that listen to the Vine Bear podcast, they may not know who the heck I am. Who the heck are you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was wondering if you could just, you know, let us know, give us a good rundown of, who sure. is Chances Robinson? Robinson. Well, <laughs> I, like many people who end up devoting their lives to wine, I had an epiphany in a glass. There was one particular bottle of red burgundy. It was a Chambol Musigny Les Amoureuses, 1959, chosen from a wine list because the name sounded pretty enticing. Mm-hmm. When I was a student, and it was so much better than student plonk. And I just realized that wine could deliver two things I was really interested in. One, a huge amount of sensual pleasure. Mm -hmm. And two, obviously, quite a bit of kind of stuff, intellectual stimulation, if you like, you know, history, geography. Obviously, I didn't realize then how much science was involved. Um, But I could see it that was going to satisfy my brain and all my senses, really. But, and you won't believe this, when I was a student, the subjects of wine and food had no social cachet whatsoever. Wow. If I'd said to my fellow students, I want to go and write about wine or food, they would have said, what a waste of an Oxford education. You must be joking. <laughs> so I went into travel for three years because I love traveling. I still love traveling. And um, then I dropped out to Provence for a year, where, of course, I was surrounded by vineyards and, you know, the, and for the French, of course, eating and drinking are what life is all about. Yeah. You know, lost that, ooh, we mustn't enjoy wine and food thing. Um, <laughs> came back to London, determined to find a job in either actually wine or food. And I was lucky enough to get taken on as assistant editor of a wine trade magazine in so long ago, in at the, <laughs> um, the end of 1975. And I've just been so lucky because my career has um, mirrored Britain and, and the US really falling in love with wine. And um, so there, I've just had great opportunities to, but I, I'm a hard worker. I, I, you know, I write my socks off. I taste my socks off. Um, uh, I haven't been traveling, of course, recently, right, for obvious reasons. Um, but no, I'm really, really lucky. And what a, what a great way to earn a living, eh? 
Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I fell in love with wine and didn't know where it was going to take me. And wow, it's it's an amazing thing. And like you said, there's just no stopping. It just doesn't stop. And I, uh, the only time I ever thought I knew everything about wine was when I just finished my Wine and Spirit Education Trust diploma. And I did pretty well in that. And I thought, right, that's it. Got it. You know, and, uh, huh. and of course, today I am le- I learn new things every day. And I, I'm guiltily I'm guiltily aware that I could learn many more new things every day. Right. You, know, you never know it all, do you? You never know it all. And I mean, I honestly, I until I when I first wanted it, there was my, the first subject of wine that I, maybe I was teaching a class and I wanted to get really deep because, you know, I just, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a sommelier. Um, I don't have any education in that curriculum. I don't have any certifications in that curriculum. So I'm, I'm very self-taught and that's why the Oxford Wine Companion was such a big deal for me. And I also know that when I, being uncertified back in the day when I was teaching, I knew that I had to learn more so that I yeah. can answer questions and that I could actually not get stumped. So that's why the Oxford Wine Companion was a big deal to me. And I can't remember what the subject was, but I remember I was looking into it. Maybe it's probably a variety like Cab or something like that, Cabernet Sauvignon. I was looking, I'm like, wait, what's all this? What are all these science words? And then I had a, re- then I started referencing and it was, it turned into this long research project of a variety or something. I'm like, oh, I love this. When I first <laughs> got into wine, people were saying things like, you know, diurnal, fluctuations and calcareous soil like what is calcareous soil oh my god it was it it was it was amazing i love it Mm. that's so cool that's so cool and and it just keeps going i mean that's 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 the thing is i i I look i look to what you're doing and everything you've done in wine i'm like this is that's 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 i just want to i just want to keep going i don't ever want to stop and it's so nice to know that you don't have to (laughs) and you can just you just keep on learning something every day and there's always something to, to, to teach people every day yeah, it's a it's a funny thing, isn't it? I suspect that people who aren't wine professionals would uh, hate asking wine questions, you know, in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They would probably clam up. And and I think I'm probably the person in a restaurant who asks the most questions because I feel confident of my knowledge mm-hmm. and intrigued by what I don't know. So I'm always quizzing the song, you know, what's, what's this or where nice. do you get that? Or, you know, um, so I'm, I'm just always on a quest well, to, to learn more really. That's awesome. That's good to know. I mean, there you go right there. It's like, Hey, we're in the wine professional world. Questions are still asked. So if you're out there in a restaurant feeling clammed up, Hey, everyone does it wine industry or not ask the question and, and kind of get what, and also another thing worth pointing out is that the Somms love being asked, love talking about oh, wine. Oh, they do, yeah. Same, same thing of uh, uh, the, the countess, the staff in a, a wine store. They're in the wine store because they love wine and, and exactly. they love being asked questions. So um, I would, you know, as a bit of advice to consumers, I'd, I'd always say ask. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder how, what it's like out there now. I mean, we have a couple of new generations like – the millennial generations out there now—they're talking. I wonder if 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 any of it is getting better out there with people asking questions about wine because wine lists are getting wildly different these days. I mean, there's just—I yeah. mean, from one wine list to the next, you just like what? Wow, Croatia! Oh my gosh! You know, also asking questions important. I was always—I always say like you know like it's if it's not your language, ask. 
You know, I mean, there's a lot of wines from a lot of world from a lot from around That's the true. world. That's true, and cultures. yeah, the the language is is a bit of a barrier, isn't it? And mm-hmm. some of those names, well, you don't know how to pronounce them, or you don't know quite what you know. Is that is that a grape or a place or a it's, or it's, the name of the producer? Yeah. yeah. Um, it is complicated. There's no doubt about it. Of course. And then we also started naming white wine Chablis here in California at some point. So that made it a little <laughs> confusing as well. <laughs> um, so you are, so I, I kind of want to talk about this thing. You were, you did a Q and a session with um, um, Oset of our, one of our people here at Vine Pair. Um, and you were talking about this sustainability thing. And I had just done, I've just done a whole, series on organic biodynamics and sustainability. And I talked a lot about how it's just more than the vineyard and how sustainability, it, we, we can, it's, it's, it's not a new term, but in mm. it, out there, it can be a little bit confusing, you know? So it's like, what is sustainability? Is it organic? Is it, but what is that? And it's basically mm. everything. And it looks like from what you're doing, you're looking at exactly that. You're not necessarily concentrating on wines viticulture and viniculture for sustainability so much as you're like look it's beyond the vineyard it can even be beyond the winery and you're specifically talking about glass weight which i find is very fascinating because there's a lot of things sustainability can be the way the des- buildings are designed the 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 you know the 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 labor um all that but the glass from what i understand is such an energy consuming product that it does seem that that would be the way to go about attacking the sustainability situation, the first, almost like a first step. Yeah, I suppose it's something that consumers can do. Uh, whereas what you were, everything else you referenced up to now was right. really to do with producers, wasn't it? Right. But consumers can add their voice by boycotting unnecessarily heavy bottles, actually, because it's not just the raw materials of which we're short that are the problem with um, glass and particularly with heavy glass, but uh, it's the um, the carbon emissions involved mm-hmm. in both producing glass bottles and transporting them. Wine's contribution to carbon emissions is the greatest concerning glass bottles. It's not actually to do with what's happening in the vineyard or the, the winery. Interesting. It's come as quite a surprise, I think, to the wine industry that this yeah. is the case. Um, but when it's when it's analysed, the glass bottle is, is a culprit. So it really makes no sense at all to be choosing heavy glass bottles, which are, you know, doubly bad for the planet, not least because they don't they do nothing for the wine the wine tastes the same whatever the weight of of the bottle right. i know it's done for kind of marketing reasons but Mostly, i would yeah. just love to spread the word to consumers and producers that it's really not clever to be choosing a, a really heavy bottle i mean i've had bottles sent to me we've started actually we, we, for the whole for last year since since um for at least 12 months if not more when we're tasting wine at home, and so we're in control, we've got the bottle in front of us, we weigh the full bottle and publish the weight of that bottle. So we can publicly uh, call out the people who are using unnecessarily heavy bottles. Okay. Um, and and it just, it's, it's, I've had bottles sent to me that weigh a, more than a kilo, a thousand grams empty, which is just ridiculous. It really is. And, and and quite apart from 
the the, the carbon emissions aspect and the cost of um, transporting these heavy bottles. And bear in mind, a bottle shape is very, very um, uh, uneconomical of space because of the round shape at the bottom and then this space at the top, you know, next right. to the bottleneck. I just feel so sorry for people in wine stores and restaurants who have to carry a, a case of these bottles. I mean, you know, yeah. if, it, if they're really, really heavy, that's another another aspect of things. And increasingly, I'm finding I'm finding more and more bottles. You know, producers want to have a a special bottle which will cost an absolute bomb to create. Yeah. They're usually quite big, and some of them now they won't fit in a conventional wine rack. Right, they're too too big to you know to fit in that that space. And all you, I'm not against glass. I mean, if if you've got wine that needs to be aged, there's nothing better than a glass bottle because right. it's inert. It's not going to react with the wine. And the um, but what proportion of wine is designed to be aged of the whole volume? Exactly. So exactly five percent at the yeah, most, probably at most. Yeah, at most. Um, so it really doesn't. You know, I, I think there's a lot of sense in. I, I'm very um, enthusiastic about, for instance, the can, canned wine, I think. Oh, is, wow. Can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that can, you know, everyone's going on about, Oh, young people, they don't want to drink, you know, they're turned off wine. You know, yeah, the report that came out was kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. But I can understand it because if you've got to commit yourself to a full 750 milliliters mm -hmm. of the liquid, and you need a special implement to even get inside it. You've got to buy yourself a corkscrew. I mean, right. you know, a Martian would think this is completely crazy. Why Absolutely. does anyone ever get into wine anyway? <laughs> They've got to do that. Whereas, um, you know, a can is a much smaller outlay and dead easy to get into. And I don't know anything about the quality of the liquid you're seeing in cans of wine on your side of the Atlantic, mm -hmm. but we see some pretty nice, nice wine that are being, that's being canned now. Actually. Yeah. We, uh, we have, it's a fairly new industry here. And I think we're kind of, we're, we were in a learning period for the past two years. I think we've figured it out. Um, I was talking to a, uh, winemaker, uh, last year who mentioned that the canning of wine is a little bit different in that there has to be different material inside or wine has yes, to have. Yes, the liner has to be something special so that it right. that minimally changes the, the, the wine itself, the liquid. Right. And it's not designed for, you know, stored. Ideally, you want to drink it within a year. Right. Uh, because it will, will start to react with, with the wine. And but it's absolutely no problem for, you know, a few months, which is, the main the turnover of most most um most wines on the shelf and do you think do you think cans is the is is the answer or do you think is there no, tetra pack no i'm wine? i'm up for anything yeah um you know tetra packs pouches i love the idea of returnable bottles which could work in places like napa valley where you've got a real wine culture yeah. and Pretty much everyone drinks wine, and it's mm -hmm. quite a small area. Mm -hmm. um, or it could work in Bordeaux, for instance, wow. uh, even in Burgundy. You know, um, Bordeaux's huge. That would really help Bordeaux. That would help yes. a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what else? What other sorts? Oh, well, bag in box is very yeah. practical, isn't it? That's pretty cool. I mean, I think we did actually recently a bag in box um, 
we we review and do these lists of the best that we get people send in and we did a bag and box uh list recently it was surprising i mean again i sold bag and box at my wine shop back in the day like my wine shop came up like right when the green movement was happening i mean when i opened my wine shop in 2007 and this is like right when organic agriculture organic the whole thing just came over from it went from europe to california that hit us on the east coast and you know that was when like nbc's peacock was green for like a month Mm -hmm. to to prove that you know it was a very very crazy time to, to, to see all this happen. And it just, just naturally bag and box just came, came onto the scene. And then also that's when Underwood came out. They were sort of the first big brand here in the United States to do canned wine. They started the whole thing and people were like, wait, I can go to a concert yes. and crack a can of Pinot Noir. Mm. And I don't have to have a whole glass bottle lugging around and see what I have to do with that. I can just crush it, put it in the recycling bin and keep yeah. going. Not breakable, not, not breakable. heavy. Yeah, yeah. Um, funnily enough, in at the Institute of Masters of Wine in um, uh, London, they had a tasting end of last year, I think it was, of of wine in alternative packaging. Mm-hmm. And I have never been to such a lively tasting. Um, really, you know, every, it was just full of energy and and excitement, and oh. um, which is good, wasn't it? Yeah. And as I walked away from the Institute, who should I bump into on the pavement? But my co-author of the World Atlas of Wine, Mr. Hugh Johnson, Mr. Hugh. on his way to the alternative packaging wine tasting. Look at that. That's so great. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I think yeah, you said it was, I mean, I wonder if it was it fun because people were excited about a new packaging or was it fun because people didn't have to worry about bottles and clanking and opening and corkscrews and stuff like that? I think was fun because most of the people there were on sides who saw saw the point of these alternative right, right, felt right. they were a part of a movement right i mean I gotta, that's always interesting yeah. i gotta say there's nothing more frustrating than looking for a corkscrew for a yeah. wine key you know it's like there is nothing more like do you have did you you didn't bring one you don't have one well and also um the the proportion of corks that obligingly slide out of the bottle is not a hundred, is it? No. I mean, no. they crumble, they stick, uh, you know. The, Plus there's the, like synthetic and, and corks. Then, um, the, there's the whole problem of the TCA infection, the Absolutely. tainted corks, you know, and, yeah. and people think that it's over, but it's not. No, I no. still, I, I come across um, tainted cork taint quite a bit, actually. I still. had a tainted Madeira the other day. It was weird. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 cool that we will never you'll never have that, and um, it might make the well, you know, the cork industry will be fine. They, I mean, the, 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 they have the whole they they're, have, fine. they're fine because there's new areas of wine production coming on stream all the time, and right. they'll they'll go through a cork phase, come what may. Right. It's quite interesting, actually. You know, Australia and New Zealand were the first to go wholesale into screw caps. Yeah. But um, when the Australians started selling their most expensive wines to the Chinese, they had to backtrack and go back in with into corks. Oh, the culture wasn't there the, yet. The to Chinese accept it. wouldn't accept the screw caps. Oh, that's wild. And also in Australia, there's another funny phenomenon whereby the young guns, the kind of new wavers, mm-hmm. who want to distance themselves from the mainstream of Australian wine production, deliberately use corks so that they look different from the screw capped norm. <laughs> That's why the percentages are still a bit off in Australia. Whereas I think, you know, New Zealand has more screw caps 
then Australia and Australia started the whole thing is might be because of this whole, could be this yeah. rebellion, if you will. Yeah. You know, yeah. And these wines, like and like like you said, we're not talking about age-worthy wines. We're talking about wines that are ready for a Tuesday. Wines that are young and fresh. Blends or no blends doesn't matter. Um, I had read that you said you had a really great Shenan uh, or Steen yeah. or Shenan from South Africa. That yeah, really yeah, awesome. yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And these are, and the thing is, like you can still do. Can, you, know, you can still do organic farming. You can still do. You know you know, you can still be good to the earth and put wines and, in, in these, you know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's all about the, 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 the viticulture of it all really is about if you're doing sustainable, organic, biodynamic, whatever, it's the human's job to make sure that the result is what you like in that can, mm. you know, I mean, it doesn't matter like the way you do it. And speaking of that, I, I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm switching a little bit here because this whole, that was, I, I, I think that's important. This whole system. I, I mean, I'm, I'm really like when you said it, I'm like, it makes complete sense. Why don't we just have like Tetra packs and have fun, non-breakable won't, won't cut your fingers <laughs> if it breaks fun with like screw caps and, and, and all that. Um, and then we're talking about sustainability. And again, I had just come off of this, this, this little series I did on wine 101 and You've mentioned this, and Jamie Good, who contributes to the Oxford Wine Companion, wrote The Science of Wine, which is one of my first wine books, which I love, and also does contributing articles to Vine Pair for once in a while, had said something, a new word that I don't get, and I need to understand, because I think it's great, regenerative vitty and viniculture, or one or the other? I, it's mainly regenerative viticulture, because viticulture. it's all about soil. Okay. It's all about soil health in okay. its strictest sense. It's about renewal. And the, the sort of real broad brush way of explaining it is sustainability is not enough. We, don't, we ha- must do more than just sustain the status quo because right. the status quo is not good. It's, yeah, it's, it's not working. Uh, it's not working. So we have to regenerate. We have to renew. We have to make things actively better rather than um, just keep things the way they are. Okay. And the, the, um, the key to really health, a healthy future for agriculture in general and viticulture in particular is to, to regenerate our soils, which will increase biodiversity. We'll get all those lovely little worms and things and mm. not to mention the fungi because way there's another and microbes right. there's another whole nematodes thing. yeah um we'll get all that back um we we and and the plants will respond to that and mm. the healthy plants will then make better wine but the farming is done for the real real long term not mm. a, a complete change from the post-Second World War when we needed quantity, not quality. Right. We had all these exciting and apparently miraculous new things like fertilizers and herbicides and pesticides. Right. And I really don't blame that generation for using them right. because they didn't know what harm they were going to do to the, particularly the soils. Um, you know, you sometimes, I sometimes travel around the wine world and the current generation say, oh, we're going back to the methods of our grandfathers and we really disapprove of what our, our parents did. But they were in a completely different social 
an economic setup um, and a knowledge setup. So it's it's natural that that we've messed up, uh, you know, with all those agrochemicals because nobody realised how bad they were at the time. It was an amazing. But, it, but they need they need drastic effort to um, to improve to repair the damage that they've done. Yeah, I mean, it must have been an amazing when it happened. You're like, oh my gosh, we found this thing. This they yeah. became NPK. You know, it's like, oh wow, it's this is no this need is a, to hoe, no need to you know just spray it on. Yeah. Just spray it on, attack the the leaves, the roots, nothing yeah. else. Just keep it going. And um, I know it's really interesting when you think about what actually the vineyards of the world in Europe specifically looked like in the 1980s. After all of that, mm. and, and and how mm. much problems. And you read about. The history of wine, the decade of the 80s was a big realization moment, it seems. It was like every region that decided that it had like it was like a little bit of a domino effect. People started realizing very slow steadily that they had to change things around in the 90s. And it makes sense that we're here because we did something, it was awesome. Then, like, oh, maybe it's not, but how do we fix this? And it's gonna take time. And I think we've been working on it since like the 90s in the United States at least. Like back in yeah, the day. it has taken time, hasn't it? And every, of course, everything in in viticulture does. Um, yes. You know, just one crop a year, so different from say beer or spirits production, where you can just turn the tap on and yeah, and it's a recipe for beer and all that. Yeah. Even though hops, yeah. but so so regenerative is the what? So when we talk about um, organic, can agriculture. I just yeah. um, can I just add here? Sure. Um, because on JanusRobinson.com today, we've published an article about the launch of something called the Regenerative Viticulture Foundation. Yes, it, it's an international thing. Mimi Castile of Oregon was there. Awesome. Um, uh, she's a very well-regarded wine producer there. Um, although, uh, and the, uh, uh, someone who farms in Provence, who was actually inspired to start it because he wanted to do the right thing and needed help to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my fellow British masters of wine is also closely involved. There's a Danish, a Scandinavian scientist, you know, it's a properly international, truly non-profit. Right. The idea, and, and doesn't really have rules and regulations or certifications, but the idea is to have a focus for information and help for wine producers to make them do better right. and to help them be, uh, become regenerative. And so it's it's a, a place where knowledge and experiences can be shared. So I think it's pretty exciting. I think it's exciting because I think it always starts with something like that, right? It starts with a yeah. foundation or of a hub of information that people can go to comfortably to get the right information that they need and then to go off and do their own thing, which will eventually turn into something different. It may even expand into a certification down the road. It's, mm. it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, interestingly enough, we, we have another article sort of sitting in the wings, which we'll publish soon, that is in, a, in the US, there is a certification called ROC, R-O-C. Oh. Um, regenerative something certification, I think. Um, and one quite well-known California wine producer is the first wine producer in the world to achieve that certification, which is Jason Haas. Oh, Jason. Ablis of Creek. course, it's so Jason great. Haas. Yes. Who also, incidentally, um, supplied the lightest bottle in the most recent big California wine tasting. Good for you. I, so, so Jason. Yeah. Love yeah. it. It's so great. Yes. Paso, <laughs> Paso Robles. Love it. <laughs> I love Paso wine. It's yeah. one of my favorite AVAs out there. Yeah. Um, that's really awesome. That's so, that's so great. And I, so this regenerative thing, is it, so 
because you talk about we talk about organics, talk about biodynamics if you want to. It all comes down to the soil. What the Oxford Wine Companion also calls the soil biota. Um, yeah. We with that there is a um, there is a focus on it in those two certifications or those two uh, ways yes. of agriculture. Yeah. But, for instance, I mean, I've just been in Bordeaux uh, tasting the latest vintage, mm-hmm. and it was a particularly cool, damp growing season. Mm-hmm. Mildew, was uh, downy mildew was a terrible problem. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, even people who are certified organic can get out the copper sulfate and spray like mad so that oh, copper is not good for soil. Is. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So regenerative so, is like going even further. Like, look, we're really going to try. These creatures need to do their thing to help this yeah. whole thing work. And that's what we're going to even go further into the soil. I guess we need that. I guess this is the next step of organic biodynamic and sustainability would be for viticulture is like, let's go further into the soil, study what's going on there and just help that, just that maintain that. And yeah. then we're going to see that the whole thing work. bring benefits. Yes. Honestly, yeah. I think a regenerative, um, certification would be great especially for a, a place like bordeaux if if a winemaker does not want to and wants to prove say hey this is a very famous edition we do here in this in this region but i personally as a winemaker do not want to do this so therefore i will go through the regenerative certification so to prove that i will not be you know doing the copper additions mm-hmm. to my my vineyard that might be that might be cool down the road yeah it's very mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. um so and this is the thing um all of this is has nothing to do with this natural wine thing that's going on. And I wonder where that's going to go when we have people that are, I just, I find it interesting that you're, you're focused on sustainability. We're to focus on regenerative viticulture. And there is a movement out there that is kind of like about spoilage yeast and almost making a wine like you make a camembert. You know, like, you know, just like letting it spoil and then just eating. Or just Although, eating. I mean, I, I, I know that the early, some of the early newer natural wine practitioners turned out some pretty dubious wines mm-hmm. that, you know, seemed chock full of faults. But I think the pr- proportion of wine that would call itself natural, which is a very misleading term, really, mm-hmm. um, that is good and well-made has definitely been increasing. Don't you? I think it's, I do. I mean, maybe, yeah. I, I mean, do. I'm, I come across far more good wines. But, so I, my, my hope, and it's probably very naive <laughs> is what I don't like about natural wine is the polarization involved in it. That, exactly. you know, the, the, the conventional, the kind of old kind of wine producers go, Ugh, natural, Ugh, disgusting, blah, right. blah, blah without probably having tasted more than about five of them. And probably the, the first five weren't very good. Um, and then you've got the kind of um, natural zealots who, yeah. you know, you're in a wine bar and you can't get a glass of wine until you've listened to a sermon about how iniquitous <laughs> yes. every other wine is. Yes. Uh, and that's not very healthy and it's not creating a great culture of wine really. And I'm hoping that, and I'm seeing that more and more so-called unconventional wine producers are mm. certifying organic or going biodynamic. Yes. It is increasing quite substantially. So they're getting better and better uh, and using fewer and fewer additives and, and agrochemicals. Agrochemicals are becoming 
a thing of the past, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, the natural Easters are making better and better wine. So I'm hoping that those two paths in the long term will converge. Meet in the middle. And who knows, you know, in, in a decade or two or maybe three, the term natural will be completely superfluous because mm-hmm. pretty much all wine will be natural and or be much, much less dependent on additive. Um, I'm also throw into the pot very keen on um, ingredient labeling. That, oh, really? That, that wine, you know, if if a producer does use an additive, I want to know and I want to see that on the label. And the good old, you know, we there are lots of things wrong with the European Union, but they're very keen to um, bring that into law and uh, oh, have really? plans to uh, impose ingredient labeling on, on European wine. It is wild is that it's the only food-ish product we have yeah, that doesn't have an ingredient. Not, so yeah. it's, you know, it's a lot. I just find it, that's a really great idea. That the whole thing with the natural wine thing, I'm actually noticing it as well. I think it's so funny. It's so wild to be just kind of like watch this movement happen and it goes all the way extreme and it's starting to sort of like level out a little bit. It looks like the, you know, the raw festival, um, you know, the, their their specifications, the requirements are a little bit loose these days, and like not loose, but like they're kind of like they want yeah. more people into less the fold. Stringent. Yeah. Less stringent there, thank you. <laughs> and I was actually out in um, Sonoma recently, and I I talked to an amazing winemaker, Eric Miller from Kokomo Winery. And if you ever get a chance, whew, man, mm-hmm. guy knows how to make some Pinot Noir. It's just beautiful. <laughs> But what's wild, what's so cool is uh, he's, you know, he, he's part of this group of people, this generations of wine growers in California. He's younger. I think he's around my age, maybe a little bit younger, but he's fascinated by this wine, this natural wine movement. But being the great winemaker that he is, he makes these wines that are people want, but he does them in a way that doesn't like, you know, like you said, they're not dubious. He mm. had a mm. Zinfandel that he made was a carbonic Zinfandel. Perfect. I mean, mm. rhubarb and spice and perfect. A little bit of that bubble gum, but not really, but just perfect. And then what he did is he, and it's weird that orange wine has kind of been looped into the whole natural wine category. Mm. It's, it's mm-hmm. not really that. It's just, you know, skin contact wine. But he And had, historic, really. And very historic. I mean, yeah. it's like part of where wine came from, you know. Mm. And he made, he has a, um, um, a Scott Bianco, a Scott Blanc, that they have, you know, California has all these wild varieties in their, in their vineyards. And he made one still or just regular, you know, and then he, this orange wine thing and natural wine things aren't happening. He's like, I want to make an orange Muscat Blanc. So he put them both in front of me mm-hmm. and I tried the dry and I tried the, the skin contact, just beautiful wines. Mm-hmm. I mean, just beautiful. And it got me excited. I'm like, okay, so here we are inside this movement we're like in it <laughs> we're in the tide of this movement it's starting to go this way and that way and we're finally starting to see this sort of convergence of like winemakers that are like okay we're gonna make this stuff we're gonna do it well and then that i think brings the 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 the, the ingredient list would be very cool because if you're confident in what you're doing making good wine in a natural sense then you should be okay putting your yeah. ingredients on the list you know yeah like, I mean, I take my hat off to Ridge Vineyards, you know, which um, has been doing this, not forced to do so by by law, but does it out of its own um, desire to communicate everything to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And certainly there have been vintages, I think, that have got so ripe 
that they've added water to the to the wine because they think it makes it better balanced and they put oh, that on the label wild that's just them. wild yeah. But hey, it's it's wine. It's like how are you gonna you just make it? It's like what are you gonna do? Do you have to make the wine? You know, if you don't, if you can't, if you don't want to acidify, if you don't want to like do the additions, like, hey, if you want to put water in it, it's just water. Cool. If I can, if I can swirl that glass and go, oh, this is a really great wine. Put water in it. You know, I mean, that's that's it's like not, you know, it's in. This is not clean wine. This is just good wine. The whole clean wine thing. I think in America, oh. the, the TTB has just put a ban on. That's not before time. Not before time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, talking of which, time. Time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. We, um, why? I, yeah, I guess we have to stop now. <laughs> Do you mind? I'm I mean, sorry. I, it's probably getting late there, and I have your course. <laughs> but uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I had a great conversation. Thank you for just like Pleasure. meandering with me it. and chatting. Lovely. All right. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Wow. There it was. Jancis Robinson, an amazing convo. I really dig the sustainability stuff. I think it's a really cool place to be right now in the history of wine. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Also, just so you guys know, uh, Jancis Robinson just started a podcast. So go ahead and check that out. But thank you, Jancis Robinson, for talking to me. And I'll see you guys in season four. Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week.